With a practical word on an age-old debate, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. Everybody's got an opinion. Are you secure or are you not secure? Can you use your salvation have your salvation? Look, look, Jesus says, you hear his voice. He gives you eternal life. You will never perish, and nobody will snatch you out of his hands. That should comfort you and encourage you. Not give you permission to live like the devil, because if you live like the devil, maybe you're not saved. And you have to consider whether you're following the shepherd or not. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You When it comes to the issue of eternal security, what's often lost in the mix is God's intent to comfort and bless His people, not divide them. He wants to provide assurance to His beloved sheep. You can have that assurance, and we'll explain why on today's Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We find that assurance from none other than the words of Jesus recorded for us in the Gospels. And now with today's reassuring word, here is Pastor Ed. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of John, chapter 10, as we continue our series with, and what an appropriate series to be in when it comes to knowing that the shepherd is with us and we are with the shepherd. And he's our encouragement and our help. And as we're learning, the sheep hear the shepherd's voice and we follow him. We stay close to him. Now, one of the greatest difficulties in the believer's life is self-sacrifice. Think about it in your own life. That's not the easiest part of following Jesus. I think one of the greatest barriers to our spiritual growth and effectiveness is our selfishness and our self-thought and our being absorbed with ourselves and everything being centered on ourselves or as we might say, our self-centeredness. It doesn't take long observing our culture to see how narcissism has become infectious. And so many are dealing with narcissism today. But it would be too easy just to point the finger at culture and not acknowledge and admit that narcissism has invaded our lives, invaded us to some degree. But it's not a 21st century issue, you know. And to the church in Ephesus, Paul wrote this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, he said, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, and cherishes it. And isn't it true? Time and time again, we're admonished and exhorted to take a good, hard look at ourselves and respond accordingly and spiritually. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says that to everyone that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he thought. And in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's so easy to be completely engrossed with ourselves, with our own life, with making a name for ourselves, getting ahead. For some get caught up in the corporate ladder, money, fame, attention, prominence, to devote your whole life to an earthly goal, to be worried about yourself, 
to be panicked about yourself, to be stuck about what the future might hold, to make sure retirement is in order. And all of those perhaps have a place in our lives. But more importantly, God would have us to pour ourselves into God and his kingdom. If you really want to do something that has eternal impact, be 100% committed to God. That whatever gifts and abilities and talents you have, make sure that they're coming from the hub of a relationship with Jesus. Too often we place ourselves at the hub of our life so that the spokes of our life, like you have a spoke of career and a spoke of family, and though, yeah, maybe I have a spoke of Christianity, but it's all about you. But when you and I were born again, things were flipped upside down. No longer are we sitting on the throne of our lives, but rather we acknowledge that Jesus Christ bought us and purchased us with his own blood, and that now the spokes of our life come out from the hub and the direction of God. And how careful we need to be to use our gifts and abilities and talents for him. So when Jesus teaches us, and we're coming into John chapter 10, when Jesus teaches us, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I want you to consider that from the perspective of a sheep listening to a shepherd. If we're going to follow Jesus in any productive way, we need to hear the call of the shepherd to deny ourselves to deny ourselves. You know, I think of different pictures of sheep out eating and grazing and they hear the shepherd and many, many of the sheep say, hey, let's go. And then there's a couple left behind go, no, I'm still hungry. And it just disrupts all of the movement of what the shepherd wants to do. He knows what's right for us. He knows where he wants to, he knows where he's going to make us lie down. He knows where the streams are. He knows when danger is coming. And if we choose to not heed the call of the shepherd by denying ourselves for the sake of following him, then we're going to cause a lot of chaos and confusion as we'll see in a moment. So pick up with me in John chapter 10 in verse 17 where we left off. Therefore my father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. And this command I've received from my Father. These are powerful words. The love of the Father toward the Son is eternal. And the Father knew that if he acted in creation, then he would act in redemption. And that redemption would be the death of his Son. And what it tells us Jesus is saying as, as the good shepherd that he willingly and voluntarily laid down his life for the sheep. Because there's a lot of people that say, well, you know, Jesus was just a victim of circumstance. He was not. Many people look to Jesus and call him a martyr. He was not. And in a very real sense, people will look at the death of Jesus and say he was murdered. And although from a human perspective that's true, but from an eternal perspective, Jesus voluntarily, mark these words down because it's going to help you move forward as we continue as a church. He voluntarily, he voluntarily and willingly laid down his life. This was all part of God's plan from the beginning. He wasn't a victim of circumstance. He remained silent before his accusers when he had the power to call down legions of angels to wipe everybody out. He could have wiped the government out, but he submitted to the government. He submitted to Herod. He submitted to all of the people that were involved. He submitted to, the, to willingly and voluntarily for the sake of others. 
for you and for me. Jesus' death was voluntary. And here's a, a word you might hear. I want to define it for you so you can use it too. He died. His Jesus' death was voluntary. Number two, it was vicarious. Vicarious simply means in place of. So Jesus' death was in place of you and me. It was vicarious. That's why when you would hear, we believe in our doctrinal statement in the vicarious blood atonement of Jesus Christ. That's our fancy phrase for saying, we believe Jesus died for our sins in our place. Vicarious. And then thirdly, Jesus' death was victorious. And it came out of a love relationship with the Father. It wasn't out of a relationship, you have to do this, but rather out of a love relationship of a father and son where he willingly laid down his life. And that's what God is calling, as sheep following the shepherd, we need to follow voluntarily and willingly, not by being coerced or manipulated or guilt-tripped, but rather we're following him because we've laid down our life before him. And notice he says in verse 18, I lay down my life, but I'm going to take it again. I'm going to rise again from the dead. That's the victorious power of the death of Jesus Christ is that he did receive, take it again. He did rise again from the dead. And it says, this command at the end of verse 18, I have received from my father. And how did the command come? Through love. We can receive commands because we know that the father loves us. And if he tells us to do something, it's for our good and for his glory. Now notice verse 19. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he is a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I want you to notice here a couple of things. Number one, the words of Jesus brought division wherever he came. That's going to happen in your life. And I know you don't like it. I know you don't like people mad at you. I know you don't, don't like to be a, a position of offense in someone's life. But if you choose to obey God in sharing the love of Jesus Christ, people will be divided and they will be offended. The gospel message itself brings offense. Now, of course, we don't want to be the offensive ones because we can deliver it wrong. We can deliver it in a way that's not loving and not caring. We don't want to be the offensive ones, although we do make mistakes from time to time. But even if you deliver it perfectly, when you agree that Jesus delivered it perfectly, it brought division. And I want you to expect that. I want you to expect that when you share the love of God, not everybody's going to like it. And not everybody's going to like you. Not everybody's going to agree about you. There's going to be some to say, oh, what about this? And what about that? And that's just the way it is. Now, some time passes and note between verse 21 and verse 22, you probably should draw it down because if you didn't, you wouldn't notice that some time passes. So by the time we get to verse 22, we are at the end of the year. The, and we know that because of the Feast of Dedication. The Feast of Dedication was in Jerusalem in the wintertime. You commonly know the Feast of Dedication as Hanukkah. Hanukkah is around our Christmas time. So this is down in December where the previous verses happened around October. So some months have passed. And if you read it straight through, you may just kind of think this all happened at once. But some months have passed, and it's a new season. Jesus is at another time at the temple, and notice what happens. Now it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch, and the Jews surrounded him. Now I have this marked. You might want to mark it. This is a, the word surrounded is an aggressive act. So they go and they're surrounding him and peppering him with questions. And notice, they said, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. 
Now up to this point, he has told them plainly multiple times, over and over and over again. And the backdrop, of course, is the last time he told them through the healing of this man in chapter 9 that was born blind. Listen to his answer. Jesus says, I told you and you don't believe. A second thing in sharing the gospel, just understand that the reason why people aren't saved is because they don't believe. You could tell them and tell them and tell them and tell them, but if the gospel message isn't matched with faith, then a person can't be born again. And so Jesus says, I told you, but you don't believe me. And that's often the barrier when we're sharing with others. The barrier is that we told them, but we, we, they don't believe, which gives me another thought to share with you that is very important for you to understand, and that is when you're sharing the gospel, we don't always see the results. We may walk away from, man, another person didn't believe me, person slammed their door on me, don't want, they want to argue with me, and on and on the list goes, and we don't always see the results. Like we're telling, but it's not met with belief. And I would just say, don't be discouraged. Because in sharing the gospel, Paul would put it this way. He would say, some people plant, some people water, but it's God that gives the increase. And so as you're planting the seeds, or God might be using you to water the seeds, you may or may not see the fruit of your labors. But here we are. We like immediate results. We want to see. If I do something, I want to see the results of it. But with the gospel, you don't always see the results right away. So don't give up on it. Don't be discouraged. You don't always see the results. And then he says, notice, the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So here's that relational part of following Jesus. My sheep, so that's a, a statement of ownership. My sheep, they hear my voice. That's a statement of attentiveness. And then they follow me. That's a statement of obedience and proximity and relationship. It's a beautiful picture of the shepherd and the sheep. It's a beautiful picture to know that we are listening for the shepherd. And so when you follow the shepherd, you belong to him. And when you belong to him, you have a knowledge relationship. Like he knows you and you know him and you choose to follow and obey. To follow and obey. So encouraging. That's the work that God has for us. And you know, there's a, an important part of following and sharing that we need to remember before we jump to the rest. And that is, when we're sharing, be careful not to jump in and try to diagnose someone and fix their lives. Jot this down. We won't turn there. But in Daniel chapter 4, verse 19, the verse says that as Daniel was about ready to share with Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream, it says he sat there astonished for an hour. In the old King James, that word astonished is translated, he sat there um, silent for an hour. And there was a season of silence. And that season of silence in our lives it, it, how I translate it into our lives when you're sharing the gospel is how important it is for us to listen carefully to the person that's in front of us. To not be quick to jump to conclusions when we're sharing the gospel or when a person comes to us with a problem. Rarely, 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 and I mean absolutely rarely, is the issue in someone's life that caused them to ask for help 
the real issue. Like, for example, some issue comes up and, oh, I need help, and they call, and, and you automatically want to diagnose and fix the behavior. Now, again, the behavior is certainly something that needs to change, but rarely is the behavior the issue. It's just a symptom of a deeper heart issue, or what we would say, the root of the matter, the depth of the issue. And so we need to be careful and quiet, asking the Holy Spirit to give us insight and wisdom on what we're dealing with. Not just diagnosing and fixing, or, you know, in a way like saying, like saying, uh, Take two verses and call me in the morning. That's what you need. Uh, But rather, I I mean, I'm a firm believer in giving someone the word of God. It changes lives. But in your delivery of it, you got to be sensitive to what God wants to show you and reveal to you from his word for that person. Jesus is giving them the truth. And he's repeating the same thing that he said last time. Giving them the truth. And he says, look, my sheep, you're not my sheep. That's why you don't believe. That's why you don't hear me. That's why you don't, you're not acting on what I say. And notice what the, what the shepherd does now in relationship, verse 28. He says, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Verse 28 is a, is a verse of safety and security. That, that the shepherd gives eternal life. And he makes it very clear, that life is eternal. Secondly, he defines it, and he says, not only do I give eternal life, but they'll never perish. That's an absolute statement. And not only that, never perish, but neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hands. There's that safety and security with the shepherd. And then verse 29, he gives it even greater. He says, my father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand, I and my father are one. While the false shepherds bring destruction and chaos, while the thief comes except to kill, steal, and destroy, the good shepherd gives safety and security. And you can rest in him. And notice he gives it. He gives. And so what do we do? We receive that. We don't take it. We receive it. It reminded me of how we do the tithes and offerings here. You know, we don't have people walking with baskets or anything, taking an offering. We rather approach it by saying, we receive. You voluntarily and willingly give, and we as a church receive it and use it under the glory of God. So we have offering boxes around. We don't take it. We receive it because you're ready to give. You come to worship. You're ready to give. So we receive it. It's what we, how we respond to the gospel. We don't take it like it's ours. We receive it as a gift. And we're grateful for it. And when we receive the gift of salvation, we are secure because of the shepherd, not because of us. And we are safe because of the shepherd, not because of us. And we will not be snatched away, which, which kind of implies that there'll be attempts to snatch you away. There'll be temptations. There'll be people and things and, and, that to snatch you away. Even yourself at times would want to walk away and just give up. I quit. It's like, no, not even you will snatch you out of the Father's hands. (laughs) And so what happens, this is such a great verse. Even in all your doubts and concerns, you know, you might even lay down, I don't even know if I'm saved or not. Well, do you hear the shepherd's voice? Yep. Have you followed him? Yep. Well, nobody's going to snatch you out of the Father's hands, out of the shepherd's hands. Great. And you can, even when you're doubting and concerned, this is one of those places you go to and go, no, I'm saved because of what he has done, not because of what I do. It's so cool. So what do people do with 
truths like this. They, argue, they like to make it one of the most controversial things in all the church. Pastors fight about it. The dominations fight about it. Everybody's got an opinion. Are you secure or are you not secure? Can you lose your salvation have your salvation? Look, look. Jesus says, you hear his voice. He gives you eternal life. You will never perish. And nobody will snatch you out of his hands. That should comfort you and encourage you. Not give you permission to live like the devil. Because if you live like the devil, maybe you're not saved. And you have to consider whether you're following the shepherd or not. And I like this phrase. I picked it up from my friend Gino Geraci. Uh, and so I made it my own. And he said this, and I like this. I believe in the security of the believer and the insecurity of the make-believer. And so that sense of, yeah, believers can be secure. Because if a person's playing games with God, and they're just playing, dabbling with church and pretending to be a believer, which only they truly know, then, then they have no security. No comfort, no confidence. They're frustrated. They're fearful. They're in anguish. They're filled with anxieties. They're unsure if they're saved one day and not the next. And it makes sense that God would keep us secure. You know how Peter put it? Peter would know because he went through some struggles. You know how Peter put it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5? He said, you are kept by the power of God. It's not kept by your good works, not kept by your feelings, he says, you could feel like you're not saved and still be saved. You can feel, you can have all kinds of weird feelings, but still be a believer. And you can be a person that thinks, you know what? I was raised that way. I received the Lord, but I want to go try my own thing. We call that backsliding. And only believers backslide. Unbelievers don't backslide. They rebel and they live in total rebellion against God. But only believers backslide. And they do so at their own peril and their own consequences. And ask any prodigal that ever walked away and came back if they regret it. They'll say yes. We'll need to pause here because of time constraints, but we'll look at those 10 things that characterize a believer next time when Pastor Ed Taylor returns to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed, I think it's safe to say there's probably someone listening right now that is feeling a little insecure about their salvation. Maybe every time they sin, they feel like they've lost it. Would you speak to that person as we close? Yeah, let me just say that it is a common spiritual attack in the, our spiritual warfare for you to doubt God's Word. That's the original sin, is it not? Eve was tempted, she doubted the Word of God, and that doubt led to great sinful decisions. And one of the promises that the enemy would want you to doubt, especially when you fail, is that now you somehow have lost your salvation. And as a friend of mine has said, and I repeat it, he says, I believe in the security of the believer and the insecurity of the make-believer. And if you've been born again and the work of God has started in your life, the Bible says that he is faithful to complete what he started. And you can trust him. And I know your feelings are heavy and hard right now, like they're, they're, they're just weighted down and it's so difficult. But the reality is, is that feelings don't always tell us the truth. Our feelings are real, but they don't always tell us the truth. And the Bible says that you are safe and secure in the Father's hands. Nobody's going to snatch you out. Now, that doesn't give you permission to just recklessly sin because now you're going to face all the consequences of reckless sin. But rather, it is a call back to repentance and humility and trust. So I'm sorry that this is a familiar attack, but trust the Lord. Jesus keeps you secure. 
And that's what we're studying right now. I want you to pay close attention to the power that you are secure. You are, and this is so important, you are kept not by your good works, not by your feelings, but by the power of God. That is very helpful. Thanks again. You can hear these radio programs on our website any time of the day or night at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is by downloading our app. Search for Calvary Aurora. We couldn't be more excited about the new book Pastor Ed has written, and it couldn't come at a better time. It's called God's Help for the Troubled Heart. I don't have to convince you that people are suffering in large measure all around us. And maybe you have been too. You've been laid off at work, or you recently got the virus, or are disturbed by what's happened in the recent election. You're anxious and greatly troubled. Well, God wants to meet you right where you're at. This book will remind you that Jesus will bring you through your trial, and you're not alone. Request a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart today. Maybe order an extra one, too, to give to a friend. We'll send it to you for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.